Hey there, listeners. This is Justin with a quick note before today's episode. Spotify recently allowed users to start leaving reviews for podcasts, and I would greatly appreciate it if you would consider listening to the show on Spotify, leaving us a positive review. I don't even think you have to write anything in. You just get a star rating and that's it. But uh, if you're willing to do that, I would greatly appreciate it. Thanks and enjoy today's show. Welcome back to Beyond the Uniform. I'm Justin Nasiri, and my goal is to help members of the military community thrive in their post-service career and life. Today is episode number 438, The Future of Virtual Care with Dr. Laura Purdy. Anyone who's getting out of the military and adopting a civilian brand, to use the term brand, which is just the word for how you are represented and what you stand for and what your personal mission statement is, um, is all really important. Well, my guest today, Dr. Laura Purdy, not only served in the U.S. Army for 14 years as a family physician, but she also has been a military spouse for a very long time. We talk about a lot of topics on the show that we've never talked about before. The first, obviously, is her work at MD Integrations and the work that she's done since she left the military about nine months ago. We talk about virtual care, which is a huge and exploding industry. We talk about why that's important and why listeners may want to consider a career in virtual care. But we talk about a couple other things that I'm I'm really happy we did. First of all, Laura has a very unique career right now where she works with a lot of clients and she also is involved in many organizations. And so very often her day is meeting with people, seeing what they need, and then figuring out the best way to help them with that need. And I think it's a really exciting way to think of structuring one's time and career to have a bigger impact. But we also off-road a little bit to talk about things that I'm curious to know what our audience thinks of because you know I view it from the vantage point of myself 10, 15 years ago when I was on active duty and how I might dismiss what Laura's sharing. And then I view it through my lens now of, of being a civilian for 10 years and a lot of things that are very commonplace in the civilian workforce that are still not really common in the military. And so for those of you on active duty who might want to dismiss what Laura is talking about when it comes to maternity leave and things like that, I'd really encourage you to be curious about her perspective. Um, After the recording, Laura and I talked about this a bit, and I'm reminded of how there is just so much that I've become accustomed to now having been a civilian for a decade. And I'm realizing that when people transition out of the military, a lot of those things are going to seem new. And so if, you know, some of the things she talks about, you feel the need to dismiss, I'd encourage you to be curious and open because I find these things are are things you're going to have to transition to eventually when you do leave the military if you're still in. As always at beyondtheuniform.org, you'll find show notes with links to everything we discuss, as well as 437 other episodes just like this. So with that, let's dive in to my conversation with Laura. Joining me today in Nashville, Tennessee, my guest is Dr. Laura Purdy. Laura, welcome to Beyond the Uniform. Good morning. Thank you for having me. 
So for listeners, here's a quick background on Laura. She is the co-founder of MD Integrations, an all-in-one telehealth solution for companies who want to provide virtual care. She spent 14 years in the Army as a family physician and has since worked as medical director and virtual primary care physician at multiple organizations, including Tripment Health, Infinity Doctors, Rise Medical, and more. She holds her medical degree from the Uniformed Services University of Health Sciences and her MBA from the Southern New Hampshire University. So Laura, first of all, anything to add or amend to that bio? I mean, there's always so much to say. It's hard to capture, just like a military career, it's hard to capture in one little paragraph, but I think you've done a great job. Yes. <laughs> well, first question, you know, going back to your time in the army, you know, when I see you kind of left at the 14 year point, I know that's always this question we hear from our audience is, you know, I can see people saying, well, 14 years, just stay until retirement. What was your mindset? Like, how did you make that decision to transition out of the army? That is a fantastic question. And I will say that I think my experience had a lot in common with other people's experiences, but also a few things that were likely very different. And so it was never a decision for me. I always knew that was going to happen. And I'll tell you why. The first four years, and I I think they've changed the way they do things now, But the first four years was when I was attending service academy. Uniform Services University is a graduate level sort of service academy. And at that time, those four years don't count towards retirement. But I was active duty carrying a CAT card. I was a second lieutenant for four years and got active duty pay. But those four years did not accrue according to time and service for retirement. So I would actually have had to serve 24 years to get out at 20 and then would get paid like 24 years. So getting out at 14 years, I was only halfway through, if that makes sense. Yeah. I needed to do another decade of service, but we were joint military. I have four children and my husband's still in the National Guard. He's not active duty anymore. But I hate to say it, but I was certainly at a disadvantage being the woman, being the mother but also being a doctor and a major at the time I got out, I would say a senior major. I was one year away from my zone. Either way, it was time to think about promoting. I was always the one who had to bear the brunt of the childcare, who got the short end of the stick, if you will, when it comes to things like pregnancy. I had to still go to meetings when I was in labor, even though my husband never had to do that. I mean, it was very clear. We don't see it that way. And he did not see it that way. The military is who saw it that way. And if you're listening to this and you know us, you'll be nodding your head and saying, yeah, she's right. She did have to go to meetings every single time she was in labor. And she did have to take her kids to formation at five o'clock in the morning because how do you get a babysitter that early? And it's hard. And so it was never a question. I was always going to be done as soon as my commitment was up. Yeah, it's so wild being on, you know, the other side where my friends at Google, I think misquote it, but like I think even fathers at this point get like three to six months of paternity leave. And so I'm so, you know, I've been out of the military for 10 plus years now. I'm so much more used to that that when I hear about some of the aspects of the military that aren't nearly there, it's it's just it's really jarring to think of like that's just I can't imagine getting my kids up early to go to for me and all of those hoops you have to jump through on top of career and life. That's a lot. 
you're absolutely right. And I, I tell people all the time, it is so much, I'm not going to use the term better because, you know, I don't want to put a moral, I don't want to assign, you know, moral designators to these things, but it is simpler. It is simpler yeah. on the outside and there is less to think about. There is less to consider and it's a it's a simpler way of life. Though sometimes I long for I agree, but it, but I also feel like sometimes I long for the simplicity of the military, where like I through so many decisions I didn't have to make, and then you know my journey with entrepreneurship is like no limit to ambiguity and the amount of structure I have to create on a daily and weekly basis is so overwhelming. So there are times where I'm like, oh, I didn't even have to think about what I had to wear. I just pulled a uniform out and some cases just did what I was told or went where I had to go. And so um, that's one aspect I miss of the simplicity. Certainly. Yes, I can. Yes. Making up your own rules and setting your own guidelines by which to live and work and operate is a whole new world. Yeah. I want to fast forward to where you are today and we'll we'll likely backtrack to how you got here. But if you were to run into someone from the army on the streets and they, they said, oh, you started a company called MD Integrations. What do you do? How would you describe what the company does and also your day-to-day life? Sure. So I'll kind of take it one step back because I do have these conversations. People that I served with reach out to me all the time because I told them all, when you're ready for a job, give me a call, right? <laughs> yep. Because as an entrepreneur, a serial entrepreneur, a, a female executive in the telehealth industry, MD Integrations is only one project that I work on or am working on. And so the opportunities are endless. And so to tell you what a day in my life is like, it's really like running a consulting firm. I have lots of clients. I don't use the word jobs anymore because it's intimidating for me to tell someone I have 30 jobs. They say, how how do you do that? But if I ran a consulting firm and I had 30 clients, Mm -hmm. that makes sense, right? So I have lots and lots of clients and MD Integrations is a company that I've co-founded, but it's only one of many, many projects that... I am involved in or work on. So on a daily basis, I attend to all of the needs of my clients, whatever they need from me. It's kind of like being a company commander, right? How do you take care of 30 soldiers? Well, you know, or 60 or 100 or however many is in their care, um, just meeting the needs as they come across my desk throughout the day, whatever that is, whether it's a prescription for a patient or advice on how to structure some operations or advice on an ethical issue or structuring a clinical framework for a new treatment type or navigating the corporate practice of medicine laws in the various states, which is a bear. If you've never looked at that, it's it's intense. And so my day-to-day life involves navigating through the different clients that I have, helping to meet the needs and streamline the overall functioning of the various projects that I have working on at any given time. Am I tracking right that it's almost like you have these relationships with these clients and then it's kind of like based on what they're needing, you're deciding, okay, which of the organizations that I'm involved with, does it make sense to to solve this problem? So it might be MD integrations, but it might be some other company that you've started or, or kind of organization you're a part of? Certainly. I mean, that's exactly how it works. So I'll use my former first sergeant as an example. I'm currently talking with one of my former first sergeants who I would say now is a very good friend who is a phenomenal operator, right? Operations, organization, slide decks, and things like that. She's looking for a job. MD Integrations doesn't have a job, 
that is that would suit that skill set right now. But there are lots of other companies that do. And so working with her to find a place where she would have a good fit. And also that I can perhaps still be able to be there working closely with her because transitioning is really hard. Making that shift, it can be hard. Learning how to, if I could say, be, be normal. <laughs> Learning how to be a civilian or be a lay person is hard. And so there's opportunities everywhere. Is that kind of like a function of your kind of personality and working style where you like the variety, you like the autonomy, you like to have lots of irons in the fire? Or is there part of you that like desires the simplicity of like, this is just the one thing that I do? Like, I'm curious if like you've, if you've cultivated this life in this way, or if it's like an in-process thing or how you view it. Interesting question. And I would say this is still in process. I've only been out of the military for nine months. So I've only recently been able to take control over my personal brand, right? Mm -hmm. Who do I want to be? And how am I going to be represented to the public? And what does that look like? There's been a lot of media. There's been a lot of press. So if you Google, you know, Google my name, you'll see some of the things I've been involved in. There's a lot of stuff going on. And so how do I represent myself? And I agree, anyone who's getting out of the military and adopting a civilian brand, to use the term brand, which is just a word for how you are represented and what you stand for and what your personal mission statement is, um, is all really important. And so my personal belief is that knowledge and experience and even medical knowledge, these things are not proprietary. And so my ability as a 50-state as a licensed nationally known uh, telemedicine physician executive of experience, there's a tremendous capacity to influence at a very high level with a depth and breadth that is it's really a unique opportunity. So my personal brand is to do as much good for as many companies or people or individuals across the industry that I possibly can, because every person and every company that is successful, that is how we change the future of the industry. I find myself thinking of that quote. It's like, if you're something to the effect of like, if your only tool is a hammer, like you see every problem as a nail. And what I'm realizing as you're saying that is like, well, you've got a lot of different skills and knowledge base and perspectives. And that allows you when you work with a company to like really do what's right for them rather than like, well, this is all I do. And therefore that's what we're going to do with you. It's, it doesn't seem like that's really in the best interest of the client. But if you have this diversity of options for them, it's easier to find really what's right for them rather than like, this is the hammer that I have. Therefore, we're going to treat this as a nail. Absolutely. That's a military value. Remember mm. the old leadership acronym, selfless service? I learned a lot of this in the military. It's not about me. It's never about me. I don't help someone or work for a company or provide insight to a startup for my own personal gain. The intent is for everyone else to be successful so that we all benefit. So that 20 years from now, my children's go-to is telemedicine. And the companies that we start now are acquired or sold or merged and become something bigger and better. And we turn the whole broken brick and mortar system upside down on its head and do better for everyone. It's it's never about me at all. That's great. I, I had read something when I was getting ready for our interview and I, I read 20 years from now, virtual care will be commonplace in every household. And I'm honored to be part of this growing profession in the industry. Tell us more about that. Like that's, I, I think that maybe 
tele or virtual care is something that we were many of us were forced to get used to in the pandemic and now it's much more normal but what is your thoughts on this industry this space and like where we're going with this very interesting question and i will kind of take one step back and say where are we going as a society and what where are we as a as a people in the mm. united states right now where are we and i think we are at this crossroads where the home, whether that's apartment, townhouse, you know, actual house, wherever your home is, the home is becoming increasingly the base where we conduct all of our daily operations as a person or as a family. The pandemic really showed us that we can do a lot from home. And so if you look out there, a lot of companies and industries are now pivoting their businesses to be able to service you from your house, as an example, at-home veterinarians or mm -hmm. at-home you know, hairstylists, or now we get groceries delivered here. We can do all of our banking from home. And so I think healthcare, you know, Amazon, shopping, delivery, all of these different industries have led very far ahead into, and even Zoom, school, you know, remote schooling, virtual learning, micro schools, colleges, I mean, everything that you can think of, we all do it from our home as the base now, rather than from an office or from a school. And I think healthcare has lagged behind because there's so much regulatory overhead we have to get through to get to the point where we say, yeah, we can get healthcare from home. But healthcare from home does not always have to be 100% virtual behind a computer or behind a telephone, or even virtually through chat. There's all kinds of concierge practices that can do in-home visits. They can come to you. They can do assessments. I've been a consumer of these companies. And so we're getting to the point now where we can do everything from home. And telehealth has caught up to that. I think what's exciting for me too about that, I mean, obviously on a personal level, I love the convenience of it. I, you know, just, you know, my, my life, I have so many meetings and before I would drive and waste time in the car. And now it's just, I hop on a zoom and I love the efficiency, but I also get excited thinking about areas that are re more remote and aren't as built up and don't have as much industry. And at least the story that I'm telling myself is that those people would be deprived of high quality care that now through virtual care, you're able to provide, not to knock smaller areas, but to provide exceptional support to even the most remote person who might not have a doctor within 50 miles of them. It's great to see the equality that hopefully that brings to, to the care that people are uh, provided. You hit the nail on the head. This is an access to care solution. Hmm. Even I'll take that one step further. Yes, for remote places, but even for densely populated places, how long does it take to get in to see a primary care doctor? How long does it take to get in to see a specialist? Yeah. I live in Nashville, Tennessee, and I had to wait four months to get an entry to care visit with my primary care manager in the major health system in town. And that's okay, but I think we can do better. And by offloading some of this or a large portion of this in-person care that does not have to be done in person in order to be high quality and effective, we make space in the brick and mortars across the country, big, small, rural, city, hospital, urgent care clinic, wherever. We make space for the visits that really need to be done in person mm. by sending the things that don't need to be done in person through the virtual remote channels. I never thought about it like that, but that's like, that's a great insight is that 
so many, I'm guessing, of these conversations don't need to occur face to face. And then you've got someone in a waiting room at a hospital or a doctor's office that doesn't need to be there, which makes the waiting time for someone who really does need to be seen in person unnecessarily longer. So I like the efficiency of that, of making sure that if someone needs to be seen in person, they're going to get faster, more efficient coverage because the system isn't clogged up with things that could be handled by someone further away virtually. Yes, absolutely. You know, I heard a criticism lately, which is always good to know what the criticism, what the critics are saying. And it was from a patient and they said, well, if we start doing virtual health, then the doctors aren't going to be available to see in-person patients anymore because they're all going to be doing virtual health. And I disagree. I disagree with that because I think there is a role for both. And there's absolutely space for both of these to coexist in a very mutually beneficial relationship. That's great. And you mentioned, you know, you mentioned since you've got out about nine months ago that there's been more press about you. What would you want people to know about what you've been up to or what you've been getting attention for? There's a lot. There's a lot out there. I would say whenever there's a new business, whenever there's a new business or a new company that launches, there's always press that comes out about it, you know, and they put out press releases because they want to gain awareness of the companies. And so there's a big push uh, towards women's health right now. And so as if you're interested in learning about women's health or working in women's health or furthering the cause of progression and progress in women's health, take a look at some of the articles that are out there. Um, you'll see my name on them. Just Google. You'll see it. And but there's a big move towards women's health. And we're looking for people to help. We're looking for folks to get involved. And if you're a woman and you're dissatisfied with the care that you're getting right now, just know that the virtual health uh, space is really opening the doors and providing a lot of opportunities for women to get a better access to healthcare than what they're getting in person right now. I'm really curious about this because I feel like I've become more aware, let's say in the last 10 years, of all the blind spots I have where I bring my background and perspective and I assume it's the same for everyone. And I'd love for you to go deeper on that. Like what might, especially for our male listeners, what might they not realize about women's health and the health that women receive and some of the pain points that are likely not even on our radar because we don't experience them on a day-to-day. Yes, absolutely. So tying it into women in the military, right? Our bodies, by virtue of just the way that we're designed, go through tremendous changes and fluctuations that males, just men do not. We have hormones that fluctuate. We go through periods Um, such as onset of menstruation after puberty, then we have childbirth. Pregnancy, childbirth, and postpartum is disastrous (laughs) to the body. And interestingly enough, the military, I believe in the last year, they've extended some of those guidelines Mm. so that you don't have to get back to PT tests and deployability until 12 months. But you want to talk about a blind spot, having a woman pass a PT test six months after giving birth is medieval to say the least and uh, nearly impossible actually i will rabbit trail into an anecdote i didn't pass my first pt test after my first child was born in the summer heat of georgia Mm -hmm. i was a single mom living separately from my husband who was stationed at fort bragg i was at fort benning and i was in residency and after i gave birth i went back to working 12-hour shifts with my 
newborn at home. I went back to work at six weeks and I bought a treadmill to put in my house because I couldn't figure out how to run every day after giving birth and going back to work six weeks postpartum. And I failed my PT test by about six seconds in the 90 degree heat of Georgia. Because of that, I was not allowed to stand up and receive an award at my own residency graduation. Everybody got their RCOMs and I stayed seated while you know everybody went to the front and got their ribbons and I was publicly humiliated and totally embarrassed and shamed for the lack of a better word because of the fact that I could not run fast enough six months after giving birth. Unacceptable. You want to talk about a blind spot. And I had a female company commander, actually, who I begged. I begged her to let me um, have another chance. And they said, no. It's crazy for me to think, I mean, there's there's a lot here, but on top of the gender, the, the single parent by being by virtue of being a, a dual military household, I have a three-year-old and it's very often hard to get out to exercise. And, and we have, I have my wife in the house, you know, it's like, it's hard to find the time that I can literally step outside and he's, he's safe and taken care of. So I'll, you know, have to use an exercise bike or something like that. And, and I'm just relating how difficult it is in a normal household. And then you compound that with your husband being stationed somewhere else and you being alone. It's just, that's a lot to juggle. And you know, I feel like something that's an asset in the military, this thought of like what you do, whatever you can to accomplish a mission, like there's, that's a great asset. And in times, it's also a huge liability of insensitivity, a lack of empathy, a lack of compassion, a lack of understanding of different viewpoints. And so, you know, it's, it's hard for me because as I hear your story, I rewind 15 years ago in the military and how immediately I would have dismissed your story as like, oh, toughen up, just you're know, complaining. And then, you know, 15 years out and 10 years out of the military, I'm like, oh man, like, you know, I have much more your perspective of like that really feels barbaric. And, you know, for listeners who might have that knee-jerk reaction of of dismissal, it's hard for me not to view it through the lens of like what is common for billions of people on the planet and what is very, very standard in modern workplaces where what Laura might be describing might feel common to you in the military, but on the other side, it's like, I just hear a lawsuit. I hear lots of lawsuits if, if this was occurring at an, as a civilian company. And, and I think that that's, you know, in some ways they might be further ahead on recognizing the various backgrounds we all have and how things aren't black and white. And it's not as simple as I would like them to be of like, well, there's a, there, you have to take a test at this point And that's what it is. It's like, that just does feel medieval, as you said. Yes. But I think it ties back into the blind spots, right? Because I was there, right? I totally understand. I was over AWTU for three years. And you want to talk about blind spots and being beholden to the regulations and finding the intersection of what the person needs and what the regulations are dictating is even if you don't have a blind spot, sometimes you also don't have a choice. Mm -hmm. But I do think that as a military, as a society, as a telehealth industry, we are moving in a direction that diverges from those blind spots and we're getting to a point where we're starting to uncover some of those and make positive change. You know, as you're saying that, I'm realizing, you know, another example of virtual care and correct me if I'm, if I'm misinterpreting this, but it's like, if I, if I live in an area with one doctor, that's what I've got. 
And everyone has specialization. And so someone might not be specialized in my needs or what my background is. And so when we start to expand this to a national level through virtual care, I'm able to get more precise solutions for me as a unique individual. And that's exciting to think of like how that unlocks people of all sorts of different backgrounds getting exactly the care that they're needing rather than like a one size fits all approach. That's a really important point that you are touching on there because one of the questions that providers and you know nurse practitioners and PAs and doctors or even patients ask is how do I know where I go? What service do I use? What company do I align with? And the answer is Whichever one you want, you have the freedom looking at virtual health as a consumer or a employee or worker or contractor, you can go and find whatever you're looking for because there's an experience out there nowadays that's tailored to anything that you can imagine. And every single day, new ideas with new niches, new demographics, new brands, new corners of the market that they're trying to capture are are coming to fruition every single day. And so whatever experience you're looking for is there. I also wanted to ask about, I feel like one blind spot I had in the military was like an aversion to publicity and aversion to seeking publicity. And I think that at least my experience in the military is it's all about the team. And there's almost like a negative connotation if, if anyone tries to get recognized for what they're doing. And then, you know, timeless times on this podcast, I hear from people where that's a real problem when they go and they're they're applying to a business and they're interviewing, they have to advocate for themselves or even more exponentially so in entrepreneurship where it's so hard to get noticed and you really have to do a lot of work to get publicity and to get recognition and to get noticed. And that's almost vital to stay in business. And you know, hearing that you've you've had now in this last couple of months a lot of recognition. Do you have any advice for the mindset shift that was necessary to be okay with that? And also any tactics about how you have gone about, I'm guessing saying, look, I have something worthwhile to say that's going to help people. And therefore I'm willing to, in my view, be be vulnerable and courageous at seeking that recognition. I think it takes a lot of courage to even seek the spotlight in that way. I will admit 100%, I still cringe every time I see my name on something that is public. Mm. In the past year, I've been quoted in Vogue. I've been on Fox. I was on Fox News last week. Several different... uh, Authority Magazine did an excessively long interview, (laughs) I would say. And I still cringe every single time. I was on NPR. I was interviewed on NPR a couple weeks ago. And I've never actually sought the opportunities. But what has happened is as a SME, as a subject matter expert, publicity is marketing. And so... I've had to come to the understanding that it's not about me. It's never about me. And I assure you that the things that are posted or the things that are said are edited, they're prepared, they're coached. It's not just an unscripted Laura giving comments to Vogue magazine. There, you know, There's always some help involved because at the end of the day, Again, it's not about me. It's about the company that I'm affiliated with or I'm representing on behalf of. And so, and it's marketing, right? And so if you have a subject matter expert who's a doctor who's licensed in 50 states, who was in the military, 
It's not me. It's about what I represent and what I bring to the table and how I am advocating for or representing or endorsing the company that I'm speaking on behalf of. It becomes easier to do because it's not about me. I think about it in terms of what's good for the company, what's good for the industry, how the words that I'm choosing may be good for the business or the cause or the company that I'm endorsing. But I do still cringe a little every time I see my name on something. I love that admission, but I also love that perspective of like, you're doing it in service of the mission. You're doing it in service of the organization. And I look a lot at like uh, Steve Jobs and Elon Musk. And I'm like, well, when you have uh, a leader who's willing to be a lightning rod, that attracts attention. And my experience is it's it's actually really hard to get attention. <laughs> like It's really hard to slice through the noise. And so when people are willing to withstand that discomfort and be that face and voice of the organization they believe in, it does serve the organization. And I feel like they'll often get judged as self-serving. But what you pointed out to me resonates. It's, it's almost always done in service of something bigger than yourself. And most people don't enjoy it. Most people are not seeking this out. And, it, and it, it's cringeworthy to see your name or to hear your voice or whatever it is. So I really like that explanation. Yes. It's, I would not imagine that most people enjoy that level of spotlight. It comes with a lot of criticism. It really does. Yeah. I always like to keep the last question a little bit open-ended. And I've, you know, when I'm interviewed, there's so often like I'm sitting on a gem or sitting on knowledge and then the person just never asks and draws it out. And so I wanted to make space for anything that anything that we didn't cover that you think might help military veteran audience thinking about their career, maybe someone considering a career in virtual care, or just anything else that you'd like to share with listeners that we didn't cover? I have so many friends that are still in, colleagues, friends and colleagues. And my husband and I have talked about this. There is so much fear. There is so much fear when people think about leaving the military. Even my peers who are doctors They're so caught up in the safety and the comfort that the military provides and the predictable paycheck and all the things that they're, you know, used to having, but there's so much fear. And I just want to tell everyone listening, do not be afraid. I hear things like, I don't have a skill set. I don't have a resume. I've never done anything. I've never had a real job. That's just not true. Every single position, whether you are an E3 or an O8, right? Every single position that you've ever held in the military directly translates to a job and a skill set in civilian um, terms. You just have to figure out how to use the right words so that people that are looking at your resume understand what you can do. But on the civilian side, there is so much admiration and respect and just people love veterans and they want to hire veterans and they want to be around veterans and they want to work with veterans because there's this level of work ethic that you really can't find or don't find elsewhere. 
And so I just want to tell people, just don't be afraid. There is nothing to be afraid of. And you have everything that you need to do well. You have everything that you need to be successful. And you will have to learn a new language. (laughs) You'll have to learn some new acronyms. But when you get past that first six months of learning a new language and learning a new culture, you will be amazed and pleasantly surprised at the amount of times you find yourself falling back onto the ethics, the strategies, MDMP. I use MDMP, not calling it that, in my businesses all the time because it works every single time. I do COA development. I do COA analysis. I do risk mitigation matrices, like leadership principles, all of that you will use on a daily basis. And so do not feel underqualified. Do not be scared. Do not be intimidated because Y'all have everything you need to be successful in the civilian sector. That's great. It is this unexpected contrast where you have people who have done unbelievable things in the military. And I think a very typical fear of the unknown and fear of what's on the other side. So that's such great wisdom. If people are interested in learning more about you and your work, where can we direct them? And I'll, for listeners, I'll add all of this in the, the show notes at beyondtheuniform.org. Certainly. Just send me a message on LinkedIn and let me know. So Laura Purdy, just send me a message on LinkedIn. Let let me know that you heard me on this podcast and let me know what your question is. And, and I'll shoot you over to my email or maybe even my phone. I love to talk to people. They always ask this question. I don't charge any sort of fee to give advice. I don't have a consulting fee for peers and colleagues. My goal is that everyone succeeds. And so I love to hear from people that are looking for direction. Well, Laura, thank you for the work that you're doing. Thank you for being so candid today with our audience. And thank you for sharing your time with us. Thank you for having me. Beyond the Uniform is written and produced by me, Justin Asiri, with the help from our Chief of Staff, Steve Bain, our Editor, Lex Brown, and our Head of Social Media, Janelle Hanf. We are an all-volunteer organization and would greatly appreciate your help in any of the following ways. First of all, spread the word. Beyond the Uniform has over 380 podcast episodes and 15 on-demand webinars, all offered for free. Help us spread the word on social media, at military bases, or whatever gets this resource in front of the men and women who need it. Positive reviews on iTunes go a long way towards this as well. Second of all, sponsorship. Beyond the Uniform relies on sponsorship to keep us going. There is so much more we'd like to do, but just don't have nearly the resources to do it. If you know of a company that would advertise in any way with Beyond the Uniform, please send them our way. Third of all, donations. If you're in a financial position to donate, you can find more information on the support section of our website. At our website, beyondtheuniform.org, you'll find over 380 episodes categorized by industry, functional role, and more. You'll also find both free and for-purchase resources that take a deeper dive on topics related to career growth. Thank you for your support as we aim to help members of the military and their families thrive in their post-military career and life.